0: Welcome, everybody, to part one of three of podcast with Colonel Greg Gadsden. Greg Gadsden shares with us over the next three podcasts uh, the lessons and experience. He loves to talk about passing the baton of leadership and lessons that he's learned along his journey. In this first podcast, you're going to hear his story about growing up in Walterboro, South Carolina, his parents growing up in the segregated South in the mid-40s, how he grew up in Washington, D.C., and the lessons that were taught to him at an early age by his parents that really set the foundation for him for determination and tenacity, his ability to overcome anything and to see life in a positive way. The lesson passed on to his father about being non-biased, which has served him throughout his life and to really judge others by truly just your interactions with them. He talks about the lessons of sport through his passion was football and how he played at West Point and the three things that he learned predominantly were to focus on staying present, that you are entitled to nothing and it's all about work ethic. He says, and you'll listen for this, the greatest gift That he was given that he wasn't really given anything they had to work for everything and that transformed his mind and really helped him through what would later become a lot of adversity that you'll hear in the second part of the podcast Um, in football he said and this carried on to life line up for every play and focus your energy for those who are looking for career advice, and a lot of us on the team, you know, team performance institute, we've been talking about this a lot over the course of 2020 and into 21. He talks about his his army career in a nonlinear path. So listen for this. He talks about falling in love with being on a team and being a part of something bigger than yourself. And for career advice, he has three bits. One is you don't always have control, recognizing that you don't have control a lot of control for many things in your career number two focus on being present and just doing your job and the third is be your best be the best you you can be by being present later in this first again first of three parts of this podcast greg talks about leadership the last the tail end gives three really good lessons on leadership. One is prioritize. Two is the goal, as you raise in leadership, the goal is to work your way out of a job. Always be bringing others up. And the third he talks about is the difference between guiding and controlling an organization. I hope you enjoy this podcast with our good friend. Hope you enjoy part one. Hey everyone, welcome to The Next Level, a podcast from the Team Performance Institute. Here we provide actionable insights on modern leadership and team development, driving higher levels of organizational performance and life empowerment. I'm your host, John Sanchez. Join me and my team as we take you on the journey to the next level. Well, welcome everybody. I'm honored to be with you today. Super honored to be with a great friend of Team Performance Institute and a great personal friend. Colonel, Greg Gadsden, Colonel, thanks for thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, thanks to hey, great to be here, John. I'm uh, um, I'm excited to to chat with you and just um, really kind of uh, you know talk about life.
0: Yeah, me too. This is going to be awesome. I really enjoy being with you. But just to set the you know set the template for today and have everybody understand who we have the opportunity to have with us and share some of the stories and insights. I'd like to go through Colonel Greg uh, Gadsden's bio with you. Uh, A 25 year officer in the United States Army, Colonel Gadsden's life is a portrait of courage in the face of great adversity. In 2007, while returning from a memorial service for two soldiers from his brigade, he lost both his legs and normal use of his right arm to a roadside bomb in Iraq. Despite the catastrophic injuries, Greg remained on active duty and continued to inspire people around the world with his message of courage and perseverance, determination and teamwork. Refusing to be defined by the proverbial hail of bullets, Greg has drawn upon these lessons of pride, poise and team learned at West Point as a linebacker and applied them to his life, career, faith and his family. After graduation from the US Military Academy, Greg served in every major conflict over the past two decades, including Operations Desert Shield and Storm in Kuwait, Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, and Operation Iraqi Freedom. Greg's military awards are numerous. They include the Distinguished Service Medal, two Legion of Merits, three Bronze Stars, the Purple Heart, three Meritorious Service Medals, and three Army Commendation Medals. Greg became one of the first military personnel to use next generation powered prosthetic knee with technology to make it possible for amputees to walk with confidence. He's a passionate advocate for wounded warriors, veterans, and those with disabilities. And he's even testified before Congress many times on issues related to these groups. Uh, Greg continues to be just an energetic and amazing dynamic guy. And his lifestyle just proves that he serves serving the nation as an entrepreneur. He's a managing partner of Patriot Strategies. He's a keynote speaker for Team Performance Institute. But also some pretty cool stuff. He's an accomplished photographer, which has been part of his life for a long time. He's an artist. He's an actor. Um, and he remains active in cycling and skiing and scuba. Uh, Greg, it is such an honor uh, to be here with you. And thank you again for being a part of this. Um, I'd like to just just start off with you know let's let's just talk real briefly about what's life like today with you talk a little bit about your your family today where you are I know that uh, you got a couple grandbabies yep. you, you know after that great intro let's just get up you know let's get us up to speed on what what's life like life for you today yeah so uh,
1: life John th- again thanks for the introduction you know um, it's sort of like um, sort of weird. You know, listening to someone talk about your life a little bit—it's um, a—it's Sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable, I suppose. But uh, no, look, every day is a blessing. You know, every day that uh, I get to wake up and and, and and try to be the best I can is is a good day. Um, you know, I've been I've been, you know, my bride and my West Point classmate of uh, this May will be 32 years. You know, we've got two. Two kids that have uh, that are married and started uh, their uh, families. Um, my son and his wife um, uh, gave birth to uh, twin grandsons uh, this this past fall, and so now I'm a grandparent. Um, as you mentioned, I'm I'm um, um, I'm a, a partner. I have a government service, uh, federal contracting, government services based uh, business, and. And my partner or I are you know, just trying to grow our company. So that that takes a lot of our, takes a lot of my time. And and and. Uh, and I like to, you know, I like to make time to, to do some of the things that are important to me and, and that's uh, I, I just I kind of think of it as my way of kind of, of kinda giving back, John, um, You know, there's there's uh, no more dragons for me to slay, no more mountains for me to climb. And now it's time to kind of, you know, pass the baton on to the next generation. And and so kind of with that mindset, you know, it's me. It's just, you know, share my lessons, share my experience, share my perspectives, um, you know, to the the generation that's behind us so that they can, uh, you know, they can they can do better. So. Um, and so yeah. that, that, you know, so because, and, and that'll, and, and I guess sort of where I actualize that is, is, um, uh, um, you know, I, am serving on uh, several boards and, or, or advisory committees to a number of organizations that, um, that touch, uh, service members or, and or veterans and, um, and, and as you mentioned, my photography, um, um, in fact, I may be working on, uh, you know, doing a, a, a photo exhibit at a at a local at a, at a local art center here in uh, in the in the coming months. So, um, that, you know, I have got a lot of things. I got a lot of coals in the fire, and wouldn't have it any other way. Um, just kind of keeps me going.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. And I again I can't appreciate you passing those great life lessons, those stories across, and and taking a look at life like what it is for your day. But let's. Can we go back? Let's I'd love to go back to the beginning, like to go back to. Can you tell us a little bit about you know where you're from, where you were born, what it was like for you on the journey to get into one of the hardest? Um, well, second hardest college in the world to get into right? Yeah. Next, to, next to the Naval Academy. I think West Point's a pretty good school. You and-
1: know what, John, it's it's, uh, it's um, I have to I have to, you have to remind me to text you the photo. But um, I was up in Annapolis the other day. Uh, with a couple of West Pointers, we were just knocking around, um, um, and we were walking. We were outside. We actually parked on the Naval Academy because you know, because you know, parking out in Annapolis can be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, so we used the Naval Academy as our own parking lot, and uh, and I took this. Um, I don't remember which road. It's one of the side gates, but um, but I took a picture. Uh, I had to go out in the middle of the street and it's got, you know, the Naval Academy on the side of the uh, brick thing, but then there's a stop sign and it's a dead end that I've been able to <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I I uh without saying anything, I'm just saying something. So anyway, I, I gotta yeah. share that picture with you. So uh,
0: uh fair enough. That's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. So uh
1: so you know, my beginning. So um um I I cannot, uh, you know, start my story without, uh, you know, um, acknowledging, um, my parents, um, my parents were were born and raised in a small town in the low country of South Carolina called Walterboro, um, in the, in the mid forties. Um, they grew grew up in the segregated South and the, in the Jim Crow South. Um, you know, um, uh, did well in school. In fact, uh, my mother was one in her, and my dad was two in their graduating um, high school class. Um, they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, but, uh, upon graduation or would kind of go separate ways, but eventually they, uh, they would get back together in Washington, DC um, uh, uh, at Howard University, uh, where um, my parents would uh, ultimately graduate. I was born while they were still in college, um, but I was actually born in Oklahoma City. But the real, the first place that I that I lived as an infant that I can't remember was Washington D.C., and my sister was even uh, born here in Washington D.C. as well. Um, um, you know, my they, they graduated in seventy or seventy one, and and you know would begin to you know um, to um, pursue opportunities, but we would eventually settle in, in, uh, in what would, uh, I, I never, pre- never proceeded that way, but there's a Navy town, Nor- uh, Norfolk, Virginia, um, home of the world's largest, uh, Naval base. Yep. And, uh, so I kind of grew up around a, a lot of Navy folks, um, uh, quite honestly. And, and, um, and my dad, uh, uh, you know, was a pharmacist uh, at, at, at a couple of different hospitals um, in the area. My mother was a, a teacher. Anyway, um, um, you know, the thing I want to, the thing I want sh- to share, sorry about that. I got a mute button. Um, is that um, the lessons that my parents shared with me were, were I I consider uh, the basis of, of really my, my determination, my tenacity and that's having growing up in the South. I mean, um, and, 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 and overcoming and and believing in yourself. And the thing that I think is really most significant about, um, about those kind of lessons is that what they didn't pass on to me was they didn't pass on a a, a blanket hate or a blanket distrust of a, of a, of a portion of our society that uh, that didn't necessarily treat them fairly um, mm-hmm. or equally. And and uh, um, my parents, my dad always, you know, you know, deal with every uh, person as a as a open slate or open book and and. Um, and you know don't go in there with any prejudgments or, or biases but uh but you know figure out who an individual is based upon your interaction with them and, and then deal with them from there and um you know that's a that's a lesson that i've i've carried through all uh, throughout my entire life and and you know try to live up to that today um you know uh as the, kind of the contrarian of my of my parents who did exceptionally well at you know through high school and and you know were very um, academic kind of focus I was uh, quite the opposite um, though I wanted to, I, I wanted to grow up and be a professional football player and and I knew that I, I needed to do that through college and my route was to earn a college scholarship so I invested in my um, you know I and you know, I saw school as a means to an end and I know that I needed to, to, to be able to get into a school and qualify so I didn't totally blow off school, but at the same time, um, my energy and my investment was preparing myself to to uh, to get on a path to go to, uh, to have a pro football career. Um, that didn't work out uh, for me. Um, the way I thought, you know, um, I didn't get any, uh, any big, uh, division one football scholarship offers. In fact, um, I got none and, um, and, and ultimately a, a recruiter from West Point would, uh, would come by to recruit another kid that, uh, at my high school and my coach told him about me and that I hadn't, you know, that I was a good football player, but I hadn't decided where I was going to go. And. And so um, I took a visit to West Point, Point um, and my only question, quite honestly, was did they, did they play Division One football? And, and um, they said, yep. And, and so um, that that was uh, that was kind of my path. Now, I, I, I did realize um, that um, this was not going to going to lead to a pro football career. And you could probably say I went there with a with a bit of a chip on my shoulder because um, I wanted to prove that I could play football with the with the big guys, with the best of us, and uh, and that was the uh, that was a that was the burning um, fire that I had
0: uh, going to the West Point. So that is a good place to go when you have you. Know you need passion, you need fire. For our listeners who don't recognize the difficulty in trying to obtain an appointment from any military academy, the West Point Air Force, Naval Academy, we always forget about the Coast Guard, that's just not fair to them, but um, it's difficult. You need a congressional nomination, you need stellar grades, Um, and then recruited athletes, it's a little bit easier for them to get through, Um, but you learn a lot of cool lessons at West Point from the football team, I played. You know, I played sports. Like I had to play sports at the Naval Academy, and I, I like to say I was a water pole player. So I said I learned a lot more in the water than I did in the classroom. Sometimes,
1: uh, yep. The fields on the fields of friendly strife, or sowing the seeds, of front other days will bear the fruits of victory. That was a that was one of the things we had to remember. But that was from MacArthur, and, and you're right. Those you you know that um, that uh, that those lessons learned in the pool. Um, you find when you because you find out about yourself, you're having to to dig through and I mean, um, you know, we always there was sort of this stigma at West Point, you know, and, and I don't know if if Naval Academy athletes had to deal with it, but somehow that you had an easier life because you you got out a few military duties, but and I'm like, you know, if this is such a good deal, then why don't you do it? You know, right. So, so if, anyway. Um, yeah, and so those are again some of the challenges that you um, you, you really find out if you love something and, and dedicate it to it and and um, and it just hardens you it it uh, it uh, it hardens your resolve to, to to overcome.
0: Tell me about some of the lessons that you learned in football that then you carried on into being in, you know a second lieutenant in the army. And then eventually leading into command and, and combat overseas.
1: Yeah, so I think uh,
0: I think one of my biggest
1: lessons as a as a as a football player, um, as an athlete, preparing was was really kind of um, the focus of, of 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 learning how to stay present and and uh, you know understanding that uh, that nothing. You're entitled to, 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 to nothing. You know, sport is probably the, the the purest meritocracy that we have. You either you you have to perform, or you or you don't. someone that's better than you is going to be out there, and so you just understand that you've got to put the work in, and it's really about your work ethic. I think. I mean, look, I I wish that I you know uh, was you know four inches taller, and and you know. Forty pounds heavier. Maybe I would have gone onto a pro My life would probably be very different if, if I, if I was blessed with that kind of size, but I wasn't. But it just. But at the same time, the greatest gift was probably not having that because it, it instilled in me that I had to work, that I had to work harder. That nothing was, nothing was was given to me, and uh, and uh, you know this kind of. You know, scrappy, do, undersized outside linebacker. I mean, I played at 195 pounds, and um, right on the line of scrimmage, and and um, and and that, you know, you know, transformed me. It transformed my mind, and um, and and beyond that, I would just say, you know, John, it's it's about living life and living life in the moment you know um you could go out there and make a play and the and the crowd can roar and you 70,000 people are are cheering you on but guess what you got to go up and line up and play the next play and you can't play you know if you had a bad play you got to let that go and you can't play the you can't play the play that hasn't come and so it really it really taught me to focus my energy into the now and you know as a As a special warfare officer, that that's your ability to focus your energy on the task and not worry about what went bad or what didn't go your way and not getting too far ahead of yourself um, is is critical to your to to being successful.
0: Yeah, I think it's that of simplification and being in the moment. A lot of preparation goes into that a lot of habits we can get into the neuropsychology around stuff that actually you know fuels through you as an army officer as a football player or me as a navy seal but overall it's, it's being able to truly purely focus on the task at hand and just simply do your job you know as sim, you know, simple as that do your job in football it's to know the play and to execute it you know in those yep. five to seven ten seconds that you need to you know purely execute I love what you said about, you know, you know, the kind of meritocracy that it is, it's simple, it's simple, you just got to do it, and then get back down and do yep. it again. Um, yep. And judgment lies and where the ball lies, right? That's, you know, that's, that's what happened. And we don't necessarily get that every day in our day to day. Right. Um, so graduating from the Military Academy, is quite an event itself. Um, I'm sure your parents were extremely proud of that moment being an academic career academic as well. And, you know, that's a, that's an incredible school. Tell us a little bit about graduating, going into the Army, maybe some of your challenges as a second or a first lieutenant as you, you know, moved from the football team, which was this you know, great cadre, this great crew, who, by the way, and I have to say this just for Colonel Gadsden's they beat Navy three out of four times while he was there. So that's a huge accomplishment. It doesn't matter if you lost any games of the season. If you beat Navy at the end, you got a winning season. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> three winning seasons. What was it like after the academy? So you graduate military academy and then, you know, give, give us a little bit about the first part of your junior officer career.
1: Right. So, um, you know, I, John, I did honestly I didn't think that I was going to uh, make the military career career. Um, I knew I was going to be a pro football player, but I, I wouldn't have, um, I, I, I could envision myself being a, a coach and wanting to be a coach. And, and so, you know, we have a five-year service obligation after graduation, and, you know, kind of my, my unofficial motto was five and fly. I was going to do my five years and then, you know, leave the, leave the military. Um, but I would end up, uh, you know, I would actually end up falling in love with being a soldier, being a part of a, a different team, um, and and being and, and and having this this mission set, this this of uh, being part of something that was bigger than you, and and so you know um, that was the team I was on now, and and that filled in the that filled in the gap of of uh, no longer playing football. I was now. a. Uh, I was now a, a soldier and um, and I love uh, uh, I love the camaraderie of of being a soldier being a leader being a follower and um, and again being part of something uh, that was bigger than me and you know and as I kind of you know surveyed the uh, you know opportunities outside of the military I uh, I, I I didn't I didn't get that strong sense. Now, I didn't immediately uh, decide that I was going to, you know, make the military a career. I was just like, okay, well, you know what? I like what I'm doing right now. So I'm just going to continue to do it. And if I don't like it anymore, then that's when I'll transition. And so um, it probably wasn't until I got to about year 13 when I finally said, well, you know, I'm going to go to at least 20. And, and and actually, I decided I would go to 20, and then I was going to exit and and um, and, uh, and and transition to do some other things with my life. And so that was that that uh, eventually became my game plan. Um, you know, pretty soon, right out of the bat, though, um, you know, commissioned in '89, you know, in um, in the in the in the fall of '90. You know, I was uh, on my first uh, operational deployment to uh, um, the Gulf um, as part of uh, Desert, uh, Desert Shield and then ultimately Desert Storm. Um, I was uh, I went there as a platoon fire direction officer and eventually uh, became a platoon leader, um, you know, leading men um, in, the, in the combat operations. Um, my next posting was, uh, was the 82nd Airborne Division um, um, as a paratrooper. Uh, we nearly participated uh, in the uh, invasion of Haiti, but the Air of Steed would step down and, and so that uh, it didn't end up uh, getting involved in that. Um, uh, I, was, uh, um, I did a couple years at the Human Re- Resources Command here in the DC area uh on the leavenworth for the command and general staff college and then my next uh operational assignment was the 25th Infra- uh, was, was uh, hawaii where I, I uh served in the 25th infantry the bulk of my time was in the 25th infantry division um and deployments to bosnia Herzegovina, as part of a uh, stability and uh operations after what happened when the former yugoslavia um, uh, Fell apart in the late '90s, and um, and then uh, another operational deployment as part of uh, in Afghanistan in Operation Enduring Freedom. I would get selected to uh, to Lieutenant Colonel and selected the the command of battalion, which you know is a which is a significant honor and and recognition and and um and and so i got the lead uh, the men and women of second battalion 32nd field artillery as part of the fourth brigade of uh the first infantry division at fort riley kansas um uh, um we were ultimately deployed as part of the surge of uh, 07 to baghdad um and uh you know as you as you mentioned earlier i was i was ultimately uh, wounded there in baghdad in 07 so would get you know i would come back you know, I I get, I got redeployed back obviously. And, and, uh, and ultimately um, I would uh, um, um, after recovering from my injuries, I got approved to stay on active duty. And um, I would continue to serve for another seven plus years after, uh, after I was wounded and finally retired in 2014 as the uh, out of the garrison command here at Fort Belvoir.
0: So amazing. I mean, amazing career for, for our listeners to really understand. And if you could go back in history, you would say 1989, guess what's coming down the line? The next two decades are going to just be filled with, you know, military conflicts uh, for those who are motivated, inspired to lead things for the military. You know, the lot, there's a lot of excitement towards and now I get to serve in a different capacity. I get to go down range and I get to do this. But Colonel Gatson, you're. You know, when you talk about every conflict that you've been in, it was you know it's almost a an incredible amount of um, these are history books being written with all you know in 1989 because prior to that it was Vietnam with some special operations conflicts in between, right? Very little action in terms of what, and then you really have um, you know really carried the flag for this country so a huge amount of gratitude uh, and debt to you. Um, just a question around you said it's funny because you said the five, five and fly. We would say like five, we in the Navy, we say five and dive. Like we're gonna do five years. And, we're wow. and sometimes when you graduate from an academy, you're pretty beat up. It's a pretty hard process, you know, to get through. Um, a lot of, a lot of younger folks that I know you inspire or some, some of the guys will come to me and say, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to be a Navy. Student. I want to do this. And I want to be, they'll come to me and say, I want to be the best, you know, um, commanding officer of a SEAL team downrange that's my goal Mm -hmm. lofty and great Um, but what I will try to tell them is all right let's just start with where you are right now let you know be the best like if you're going to try out for SEAL teams we have a program called BUDS it's our it's our it's our boot camp for the SEAL teams just be the best BUDS student you can possibly be like don't worry about being you don't even worry about getting to a team yet or commanding a platoon or right? anything. Just just be in the moment, um, because there's this, you know we. If you look at your path, you'd think it was almost linear, right? You started from graduate from '89 and you went through every single conflict. And you looked at on on a historical page, you say, yeah, that all makes sense. But in reality, there was a lot behind the scenes. What advice would you give to, you know? People in their careers, younger in their careers, as you were, getting out thinking, "This is only going to be five years of my life." But then you made it a very successful career. What you know? What would you share with with young folks trying to sort out their careers? Right.
1: So, um, you know the, you know, we could say perhaps the folly, or just part of being you, uh, part of the being being young, is is really kind of thinking that a uh, we have uh, a lot of control over. The, uh, the things that kind of happen in our life and again, that, again, a lesson that we learn as athletes it's really you know um, you have very little control over life and the sooner you kind of understand that and you're able to I say focus your energy on again being present on doing your job. I mean um, uh, oftentimes you know young officers or you know Sir uh you know they're always talking to me about the next job and the next, you know what how how do you get how do how do you want to I want to be like you? Well, no, 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 no. Just be your best you. That's that's my advice. Be your best you, do your job, be present and be there. Everything else will take care of itself. And it's sort of getting young people to really trust and believe in that, you know, that you know. You know the we we were all kind of guilty of just kind of looking over the horizon and instead of instead of driving our car and, and, and focusing on on um, on what's in what on what's at hand and, and being being present. You know, you know, I'm not about you know saying hey I wanna do this all over again and have her regrets. I say that not saying that I'm perfect because I'm far from it. You know. For me to be where I'm at, for me to get there, I had to kind of learn those lessons. Uh, but the sooner we can learn them, the sooner we can learn to to focus on on uh, being present and and being the best that we can. Um, that that's what I want to instill in young know, and young leaders. Um, yeah, it's nice to dream, and you got you have a moment to dream, but 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 don't don't not you gotta be present and if you're you know you're in a meeting you're you're talking with somebody and you're thinking about what's going on tomorrow you're thinking about your next meeting your next engagement you know that's when you're guilty of not being present and uh and you're gonna miss you're gonna miss something you're gonna miss an opportunity and um I, I again going back to kind of being an athlete those of us that you understand John um, you know, as a, as a Navy, especially as a Navy SEAL, as a swimmer, just being able to just focus your energy, focus all your energy into what you're doing. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I say, you know, people that are, are dragging, you know, some failure, something that happened to them in their life in the past, that's, that's an invisible anchor that encumbers you, and prevents you from being your best. And then if you're you're living a day or living a moment or wishing for something uh, that is yet to reveal itself, you're giving away your energy to, to, you cannot be your best. And so I believe that in order to be your best, you have to be able to put all your energy into being present. So be present and you
0: have a chance of being your best. I love, that, I love that. That's 100 great. And simple advice. Again, that's hard to follow, right? Some of these things are so easy to say, but very hard to follow. And I think it, you know, it comes with practice, and it comes with also seeing results from that, and being, you know, keeping distractions to a minimum, and, and you know, just seeing the results that come. One more question on leadership before we go into our next section, um, and this would probably be more for our senior leaders who are listening. Would be, you know, what is it like? To command over down sea over overseas downrange in a combat zone, what what was it like for you to command men and women in that type of environment? What are some of the lessons that you learned there?
1: Well, um, I think uh, you know always as a leader, one of the one of the things that I believe is important for leaders to do, especially. You know, large and complex organizations is to be able to kind of, to be the kind of sort out the priorities. Um, again, like like we are talking about focusing our personal energy uh, so that we can be our best. Well, you know, your organization is the same way. And you know, uh, the old saying, "If everything is important, then nothing's important." Mm-hmm. And so, I, I believe that. Uh, one of the most important things for us as a leader, and I'm not, you know, this is not permission not to do something we're supposed to do, but they always got to know what's important. So I got two choices. We always got two, three multiple choices. What is the most important thing for our organization? What is not negotiable? What can we never fail at? Shoot, move, and communicate. I said, we got to be able to shoot, move, and communicate, be able to be able to, to take care of one another medically and, um, and and if we can if we can all so you know left or right this these are the top four or five things that we we cannot negotiate we cannot uh, uh, give up our standards on and and so um, given a choice um, if you can keep your organization um uh, focus on what other priorities are. I believe you just you just have a chance in, in, in being successful. It's doing the doing the little things, um, that uh, that contribute to the most important things, is what keeps you.
0: Uh, which what keeps your organization focused. Yeah, I like that too, and I like the idea of uh, having guardrails to the mission. Right, we have another uh, great coach who's a female she's an executive with us and um she was one of seven women on a ship of 375 men uh-huh. for a long period long deployment and she shares some lessons about being overseas and doing that and on a ship it you know she shared this idea around guardrails and guardrails for you know, the captain of the ship like you know inevitably he's responsible for the ship all the time and when he would he can't be on the bridge he can't be in you know literally you know driving the ship every day and he would have to sleep and so when he would go to sleep he'd literally write down you know here are the guardrails here are the here are the read here are the things that you should wake me up Should yep,
1: absolutely
0: yeah anything else that's within inside this range is all yours
1: that's and right he did. trusted him and he empowered them yeah. um you know you, you, that uh, that guardrail uh, thing uh, brings to mind uh, some advice I got as a as a pretty junior major from this colonel, and he said, "You know, it was that transition from being a company grade officer to a, a field grade officer." And he says, "You know, your your goal as a field grade officer is to work your way out of a job." And uh, I still think that's that's tremendous advice, and and what that sort of meant for for me and, and anybody I was leading or an organization is I don't want them to be dependent on them. And so you, um, and, and so, you know, and so that's those guardrails now. And can they, can they function the more that you can power down, the more you can get them to function without your thumb on them or without your hand on their shoulder, um, the, you know, the better off they're going to be. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's sort of the, I, I, it's sort of the difference between running an organization and commanding it, and leaders that can understand the difference between, uh, you know, uh, guiding an organization versus, you know, are you are you holding on to the the, the, uh, the what the mask or the uh, yeah. or the or the helm? You know, helm. No, I'm
0: sorry. Are you holding on to the helm or
1: or? <laughs> or he's saying, you know, let's go this way. And so, um, and that was sort of my uh, philosophical reason is, is that I was aiming and guiding our organization versus controlling it. You know, I did not want to hold on to it. You know, the other thing, another way of kind of thinking about that is when you hold on to it, then you own it. If you let go of it, they own it. And so, um, and I, I got a lot more minds looking at a problem when they own it than if I'm holding on to it and it's just my mind.
0: I love. I love. We talk we talk about that in our coaching practice here, around I, I say it's like the difference between your grip and your touch. As a yeah. senior, you don't want to be gripping this so hard. You, your touch is going to be way more impactful and influential. And you should just be touching those things that are important throughout the day, making sure they're going in the direction. That you want I'm just giving guidance,
1: and and you know, and the leaders that don't grow are the ones that, you know, as a lieutenant, you know, as an ensign, you're you're holding on to it, right? And you are successful, and you were highly successful, and you keep repeating that, and you hold on to it, and then you just start to strangle the you start to strangle the organization as you continue to to uh, to uh, go through the ranks, if you. Yeah. If you're still using the technique, then um, your bandwidth is narrower, and the organization is bottlenecking.
0: Right. And it's counterintuitive to leadership, right? You yep. think because it's your method of success, like as a junior officer, you're like, okay, if I got this and I just hold on to it really hard, I get promoted yep. and I get in it and it works. And so you were rewarded for that. And all of a sudden, the right. major, you move up to like colonel. It's like, you got to let go. Oh no, yeah. this goes against everything, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yep the beauty of leadership hey everybody i hope you enjoyed part one of three of our podcast with colonel greg gatson next week in part two greg tells his incredible story of being blown 100 meters losing both of his legs in his struggle through adversity tune in next week for part two and greg's amazing story hey everyone thanks for joining us on the next level we hope that you found a couple of tips or insights today that you can take into your daily life. To learn more about our leadership training programs, our executive coaching programs, and the Team Performance Institute, please visit us at teamperformanceinstitute.com or email us at info at teamperformanceinstitute.com. Hope you have an awesome day.